Thank you for downloading this message from Grace Christian Fellowship. We pray that you receive encouragement from the study of God's Holy Word and that you will grow in the faith and understanding of our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, we'll go ahead and start now. I, I want to recap, if I can, a bit from last week and then something that I even talked about way back in March. Uh, and, and that is this. Okay, so, by the way, I, I never really know what to do with the wires. This has nothing to do with anything. I'm just, sometimes I see them out of the corner of your eye. Do, do you ever have that where you, you see something in the corner of your eye and you want to swack it? It, it kind of bothers. So it's different. I don't know what it is today, but for some reason, I put it on in first service and it, it's angst. That's what this is called. It's called angst. So I'm going to, if you see me playing with my wire today, I'm struggling. All right. So anyway, <laughs> that had nothing to do with anything at all. So a slight recap, <clears throat> people, people, people that we've been, I've been spending some time talking about people. We can't live with them. We can't live without them. We have good experiences with people. We have challenging experiences with people. True. Sometimes we even have bad experiences with people or horrible experiences with people. And so I'm sure if we went around the room, we could all say one thing that jumps off our mind. That was a terrible experience that we had with somebody. We've never forgotten it. Is that true? Okay. We also have very good experiences with people. I'm sure if we went around the room, we could come with something that we, most of us would find something to share that was very, that where we received something meaningful from a person. Maybe a tangible thing, but most likely an intangible thing, how they impacted our life. So we've been talking about this and, and, and what it is and how if we're really going to do right and, 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 and process dealing with people, we have to practice the presence of God. No, no matter where we are, we can be surrounded with all kinds of people that are challenging to us. Maybe at work, maybe you go to work and there's a whole crew of people that you work with that are just a challenge. Practicing the presence of God is just seeking God through the day. Hey God, you know, we sneak two minutes of privacy. Hey God, I'm just, uh, I'm here and I'm, just having a hard time dealing with these folks. I mean, they say bad things. Help me get through the day. Hey, God, a few hours later, here I am. I'm still with them. Thank you, God, for getting me through this day. Practicing the presence of God is just seeking the Lord through those times and through those stretches. It's also seeking the Lord through the good stretches. Hey, God, I'm having a great time with, with these people. Thanks for connecting me. But practicing the presence of God is one thing to always do with people. Another thing, now look for the good in their lives. You know, when there's somebody that you really love, it's easy to find the good in their lives. When there's somebody you really love, it's easy to find the good in their lives. Do I say the other side of that? When there's people that drive you absolutely bananas, it can be very challenging to find the good in their lives. God made you. God made them. He loves them. He loves you. There's good in their lives, too. If we focus on the good, it can make navigating that stretch a lot easier. And there is good somewhere in there. There is good. You ever worked with somebody and you just don't even, you, you, you think I, there's no good in that person? You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, there can't be good in there. There can't be. I've not found anything good. Maybe the good is that they breathe. And God's going to operate. But focus on the good in their lives. And I'm having fun with it. I say it like that. But focus on the good in their life. It makes it, makes it much easier to navigate. And then we talked a bit about, last Sunday, I talked a little about our intentionally strategic efforts, things that we can do. Uh, for example, invite, invite, invite. 
Invite, invite, invite. Not vite, vite, vite. Invite, invite, invite. We can invite people anywhere. We can invite them over to our house. We can invite them to church. We can invite them to join us in prayer. We can invite them for coffee. We can invite them to a cafe in the, between services. We can invite anywhere. We can invite anywhere. But the key is to invite. Invite, 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 invite. Yeah? Okay. Then we also talked about <clears throat> our ministry is a way to be intentionally strategic. You know, if we do things here... Nothing says welcome more than I'm doing something for you. So if we're trying to do things for each other, it's a very appealing, it's very hospitable, and it's a very good outreach effort. If we don't do anything, it's, it's harder to find that hospitality sometimes, to see that hospitality. So we invite and we do stuff, and we do it as a, as a group. The Bible is chock full of people stuff. And this is really where I want to get at. It's chock full of people's stuff. We can go all over the place and we stumble on page after page after page of how to interact with people. Whether they're good people and easy to work with or they're challenging people and they're hard to work with. It's all over. Every now and then somebody will share a people story with me. You know, they're really hard people stories and you think, why, how did you put up with that? And then we hear the other people's stories. Wow, that's great. That's so cool that that person did something for you. The Bible, we all have to process the people experiences. And the Bible has thing after thing after thing. Go ahead, Maddie. Let's, for example, these are just a few verses here. And we're not going to read all of them. By the way, I read a book by a man named Tom Rainier. And he kind of, he pointed me on, to, on these. And I'm like, you know what? That's really right. So I want to give Tom Rainier and his credit for this. Uh, unity of the spirit. You know, unity comes to do with people. Now, obviously, the spirit is a kind of unity, but unity is because we're working with people. That's Ephesians 4. In Colossians 1, we have not ceased to pray for you, praying for other people. Philippians 2, uh, look also to the interests of others, not just our own self, but also for the interests of others. Philippians 4, let everyone see uh, that you're considerate in all that you do. We, we want people to see that we're considerate. We want people to see that we're trying to do that stuff. These things about people are people skills. The Bible has lots to say. Some of them, some things we do, there's actual tangible rewards for us if we do things with people in a certain way, in a positive way. There's actual tangible rewards for that. The people, people skills in the scripture are huge. Huge. All right. So here we are today. And a little bit about this message has to do with this church, but I think it's going to be applicable in other ways. I really do. I know that sometimes it's difficult to start off doing good things for people and being kind to people when we're shell-shocked, when we've had difficult people experiences. So what I want to do for the rest of our time is just kind of look at three things that might help move us. If we do these things, it does make it easier for us to do good in people's lives. Are you with me? But I'm, we'll call this the three-legged stool. Anybody ever use that expression at work? Yeah, it's horrible. It's really horrible. I have a confession. I was in a corporate, I had a corporate job for a number of years, a long time actually, and we used to use three-legged stool, and it was corporate speak, and I just couldn't stand it. I, I thought it was terrible. And I try so hard when I speak here, or if I'm talking to you, uh, you know, over coffee or whatever, I try so hard not to use corporate speak. I really, I work really hard at it, and it's just a 
it's a horrible language. Every now and then somebody will say, boy, you're, you're, really, you're really using corporate speak. And I go, oh, no. And my dad will say, boy, you're speaking corporate now. And I'm like, that's terrible. A, a brother in first service told me just a while ago I'm speaking corporate. And I'm thinking, oh, no, that's awful. But three-legged stools, it, it fits so well. You know, you've got three legs. And if you lose one leg, the stool kind of tips, right? You need all three legs to make the stool go. Well, all three legs for this stool will help us if we're doing these three legs. It does help us. These three things, they do help us engage with people or at least have the right perspective on people. You know, and I, and I had this, I had, I, this was not part of my message, but years ago, I, this is a true story. I had an assistant and I had gone to her and said, I need you, would you be able to build a, um, a graphic of a three-legged stool? Because I need it for a presentation. And she said, oh yeah, I got it. So a couple days later, she said, you know, here you go. And I looked at it. <sighs> it was horrible. <laughs> I mean, it was really bad. And, it, and I re- I'm looking at this graphic. It looked like a stick person stool. And uh, I remember looking at it. And I had to share it with the executive vice president. And I, <laughs> I didn't know what to say. It was terrible. And then... It, and then I was thinking, you know, I shared this in first service, uh, and it, it's, it's funny the things that pop in your mind when you're speaking. And then it dawned on me, what if she's watching? So I, if you're watching, you know it was bad. It was not good. So we left it off the presentation. She tried, though. That counts for something. That was, yeah, memories. Okay, nothing to do with anything there. So, three legs, our first leg. You ready? Go ahead, Maddie. Acts 2. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes. This is the first group of believers post-Jesus. So Jesus has died on the cross. He's risen from the dead. He's cruised around. He's ministered to people. And he's ascended into heaven. So the first community of believers post-Jesus. Sometimes people say the first church. Uh, The word church wasn't even invented at this point. So let's call it the first community of believers. Day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. There is gobs and gobs happening in this verse. First, for example, let's just pull out a couple things here. If we put it in today's language, they're going to the temple and then in homes. So today's language, we might say they're going to church services and home groups. That's today's language. Church services and home groups or small groups or whatever kind of vernacular we want to stick on that. They're involved in both. This is good. These are people being with people. They're showing up. They're faithful. They're doing the stuff that they need to do. People with people with people. And then I like this part. And I think it gets glossed over a lot when I've, I've heard people use this verse. Anyway, they're praising God, and this is the part, and having favor with all the people. This isn't just the favor with believers. This is the favor with all the people. Not just in their community, but also out of their community. They were well thought of. Nobody thought they were crazy. They weren't rude. They weren't obnoxious. They were well thought of. 
So here we've got this community. They're doing what they do with people on their, in their services, their big groups, right, the temple. Then they've, they've got their home groups, and they're doing those things there. They're having those smaller, intimate meetings. But they're also well thought of by people who don't even know God. Look what happens after that. And the Lord added to their number day by day, those who were being saved. That didn't happen first. It wasn't like this. And the Lord added to their number. And then they had favor with the people. And then they met. It was they met, and they met, and they had favor, and the Lord added to their number. It's very difficult to be added to your number if you're not well thought of. Right? The Lord added to their number as they had favor. I just think it's an amazing statement of people. We read Matthew 5. For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even tax collectors do the same? And if you greet your brethren only, what do you do more than others? Do not even the tax collectors do so. So I'm just going to translate this for us here. It's easy to say hello only to your friends. But this is talking on a broader scale. Do we engage with people that we don't know? Or is it only about the people that we do know? People, 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 yeah? So when I read these passages, it jumps out at me in my daily interactions with people. Just my daily interactions. I don't have to know uh, everything about everything. I just have to be seen favorably. As much as I can control anyway. And I know people may... Critique me, maybe they don't like blue shirts, but my, I, I have to be, as much as I can be, favorable. Any other blue shirts in here? All right, Ben, you're okay. Carol, you're all right. Cowboys, we, we may not be like, but we're all right. So I'll tell you, I, this is something of an admission story, and this is where my, my wife had texted me on. Some years ago, I had a you know, I never thought I would share this story, but I, I just, I, I think this is appropriate. I hope, I think. Have you ever done anything that you think you did the right thing, but you're just not sure? You know what I'm talking about? You think you did the right thing, but you're just not sure. And I had a situation, a, just a human being situation. My wife and I were shopping. I'll rephrase that. She was shopping and I was with her. And we were, we were about an hour away from here and a bunch of stores. And, and, uh, and there's, there's stores that we're not, I'm not familiar with. I don't, you know, the layouts, and she and I don't go there very often. So sometimes, you know, in those stores, you don't exactly know where the line starts when you check out. So we've got all the stuff to, she's carrying all, all the goodies that she wants to buy, and, and I'm standing with her. And we think we know where the line is, and we stand there, and some people come after us, and I think, oh, this, this must be the line. And some other man, he stands on the side, some feet away from me, away from me, after we got there. And basically, he skips me. Eh. You know, so I say, hey, buddy, is that the line? Is this a line? Because I don't really know where the line is. Maybe I'm in the wrong place. Anybody ever done this before? Am I the only person? Okay. So I, you know, and he gets mad at me. Apparently, that's the line. Or I don't know if I still don't know if it's a line. So he gets mad at me. And I'm just asking about the line. So he walked over, and this is why I'm not sure if it was a line, he would have stayed there. And he walked over, and as I'm asking about the line, he starts to answer my wife. What? And it was just a very strange time for me. And, and, you know, I'm just being I'm just confessing here. 
So I'm asking a question, hey, what's the problem, man? I'm just asking about the line. And he starts to talk to my wife, and I'm thinking, this is weird. So he's getting closer, and he's really just engaging Leah. So when I would talk to him, he would answer her. That's odd. I'm her husband, and I'm right here. I'm the one talking to you. Leah's not saying a word. She's just going to do the purchasing. <laughs> you know, so this is strange. So as he gets close to her, I think, I'm not going to really, I'm just not going to let you talk to my wife. I, so I get in between, I slide between him and my wife, and I say, just answer me. It was a tense moment. <laughs> he was a little shaver, but a, <clears throat> a courageous little guy. He, uh, he wanted, I don't know why, and even, even standing like that, he would still try to go around and talk to my wife. I did the best I could. Nothing happened. It wasn't that kind of situation. It, really, I've reflected on this several times, and I've prayed about this a number of times. God, did I do right? Did I do right in that moment? If I can, ha- if I can do right by all, if I can have favor, I don't have to get him to like me, and sometimes people just aren't going to like us. But if I can just do the best I can to have favor, I'm on the right road. You with me? Sometimes it's not that easy. We didn't come to blows. Although the people in line said, boy, there's there's something wrong with that guy. People behind me. And I said, I know. If we just strive for favor, then we're good. That's all we can do. Sometimes it doesn't happen. It's all we can do. I have prayed for him a number of times since then. I don't know his name. I, I think I can still pick him out of a lineup. Isn't that funny? You get somebody's face like seared in your head. Oh, buddy, I'm on to you. Probably, probably, probably was a Bears fan. <laughs> uh, those people from Illinois. Somebody from Illinois in the second row here. I'm having a really good time with right now. All right, that's one of our three legs. Let's look at a second leg. Go ahead, Maddie. Ephesians 2. For by grace you have been saved through faith. Oh, believers, we love this verse. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. This is the part we love. We love this first part. For by grace you have been saved through faith. By grace you are saved through faith, and it comes from God. That is amazing. All of us walking with God, we have this most divine miracle that happened in our own lives. That is cool. But the second part of the verse is where it starts to get into, or the second verse is where it gets interesting. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. We have an accountability to do good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We need to do good works. We read on 1 Corinthians 12. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For the common good. I got a little bit of something for the common good, not just for me. You got a little bit of something for the common good, not just for you. Yeah? So thank you, God, for these gifts for everybody. Flows through me for everybody. And thank you for giving me this faith, grace, so I can do good works. We are wired as believers. We are made. We are built in a way to do good things by his word. That is wonderful. 
It's when we don't walk in it that's challenging. That third leg in the stool is really simply this. We need to think in terms of doing good. And doing good. What can we do? What can we do? You know, sometimes people will wait. They wait years and years and years. And they say, God, I don't know what my gift is. Don't overthink it. Maybe the gift is shoveling sidewalk on Sundays. Maybe the gift is just calling a friend when, they, when they're hurting. Maybe the, the gift is what, helping with Sunday school. Or, you know, some gifts are very public and they're very easy to see here, for example, in our congregation. We've got uh, our worship team, for example. That's a very public effort. We see the people who are on the stage. We have a, a man here named Bob Halverson who's putting together a security plan. And it's a very quiet gift. Hopefully we don't all see this security plan. You know what I'm talking about? It's a good thing to have. And hopefully we leave it in a drawer. And I'm saying that, you understand what I mean by that. So some gifts are very public. Some gifts are very private. But we need to be walking and doing good works. This is a good thing. So there's an interesting phenomenon happening across America with churches right now. It's not worldwide, but it's definitely in America. And there's a lot of people who are following this effort. A lot of um, people watching these, this church phenomenon that's been going on for some time. So there's lots of statistics and resources that point to this. And by the way, if you don't know this, I really am a numbers guy. I enjoy numbers or metrics that really back up uh, thoughts. So there's a lot of numbers that say at least 100 churches in America are closing per month. At least 100 are closing per month. Now, I know that new churches are also happening and also starting in America. But even with those churches that are starting, we're still... It, we're still losing at least 100 a month. Some, uh, some statistics say up to 100 a week. Some statistics are just about 100 and something per month. So I'm saying at least 100 a month. That's a horrible loss rate. That's terrible. Where are the churches going? It's a problem. We should not be losing churches in America. Now, while that happens, there's something else that's going on. And, and a number of you may have heard about this. And this is not a bad thing. This is a good thing. Churches, and even around here, we have a number of churches that are sending out local groups to start local churches. So, for example, imagine here we are on 99th and Capitol. Imagine if we got a few people together, if we said, okay, everybody in that section and you three over there, you guys work together and we're going to send you out. You're going to start a satellite congregation for us on 60th and Capitol. Now, we would have a, the main or the center and then the satellite location. It, it, this is a good thing. You with me? It's good to see these churches fire up and start. But what, what, what's being experienced the growth in, experience, in, in a lot of the places, not all, but in a lot of the places, the growth is really an interesting thing to watch. Some of them, after, they, after a send out, they might be 300 or 400 just a couple years after they start. You think, well, that's wonderful. But most believers in these satellite churches, they're mostly being populated from people who left other churches to go there. They said, oh, that's a new church. I'm going to check it out. And statistics are telling us that it's, there's only between 8 and 15% of churches that are growing in America, only between 8 and 15% are growing from new people coming to know the Lord. So I'll just kind of let that soak in for a minute. What this means is when churches grow, they're going from other churches. And this is one of the reasons that, that churches are closing across America. 
Because there's people are leaving and they're saying, ah, there's nothing fear for me, and they're going to a new place. Now, sometimes people move or there's different reasons or this or that, but big churches are closing. Just, just a few weeks ago, a church that had uh, 20 years ago had over 1,000 people in it just closed. Here in the Milwaukee area, big churches are closing. It's a terrible thing. And there are other churches that are growing, but they're not growing with people who are coming to know the Lord for themselves. And again, I know there's times to leave church. I get that. I'm not speaking against that. But as a whole, I'm looking at people and they chase. We're seeing more and more where people are chasing the shiny from congregation to congregation. And they're they're finding it's a market mentality. People say, well, I'm going to go to this congregation until there's nothing to do. (laughs) They don't say it like that. They go. And they think, well, there's nothing for me here anymore. I'll see what else is in the city. I feel like I got everything that congregation has to offer. So they pick another congregation. And they go there for a while. And they think, yeah, I've been here. There's nothing really for me here anymore. I'll look around. And then they pick another congregation. I don't think there's really. And eventually, that's all they do. They'll spend a few years at these places. And they move on until they get something. And it's never their fault. It's always the congregation's fault for not having new stuff. I believe this. I believe these verses. If we get into a congregation and we do our good works, we're much less likely to be flighty. If we build the congregation versus trying to just get from the congregation. You know what I'm talking about? When we pick a place, we put our roots down, our anchor down, or whatever type of thing we want to put down, and we say, this is a place I'm going to build. I'm going to pour into I'm not going to look to get from, I know we need to eat, but I'm going to pour into it. This is, this, it's, it's the most interesting trend in America today. Our gifts are for the common good, and we need our gifts here. We need everybody to operate here. It's a good thing. The third leg of our stool. Go ahead, Maddie. Matthew 6. This is a great passage I read earlier from Matthew 5. Matthew 5 through Matthew 7 is perhaps the most prolific sermon Jesus ever preached. And we know it mostly, we call it the the Sermon on the Beatitudes. And he's standing outside, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are the meek, blessed are the peacemakers. And that's usually what people gravitate to. But actually in in this message, he preaches Topic after topic after topic after topic after topic. And he really lays out all kinds of stuff for his people, for us. Things that we should be doing more of or we shouldn't worry about or we shouldn't think on. And this is something that he speaks to. By the way, I was there and some of you have been there as well. It's a pretty neat place to go to where he preached next to the Galilee because it makes a type of very natural, uh, nature-made amphitheater. And it is possible for somebody to stand in a certain place and yell and be heard a long, long way. And then if he had a couple yellers past that, they could really transmit a message to thousands in an era that there was no uh, PA system. It's a really neat thing. So Matthew 6, 19 through 21, do not lay uh, up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. First, or sorry, I'm sorry, 2 Corinthians 9, 6 and 7. The point is this. 
Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give account as he has decided in his own heart. So <clears throat> I just want to say in that first passage, I wonder it would be interesting if we could do a quick vote. I wonder how many of you thought that first passage was talking just about money. Because it's actually speaking to much more than just money. But I think it brings, it brings me to this third leg of the stool, it's much easier to engage with people if we are okay with being generous. And if we're not okay with being generous, then it's hard to engage with people. And uh, I've, I've heard people say, you know, churches talk about money too much and preachers shouldn't talk about money. I've known pastors who have been run out of churches because they spoke on money. Um, I don't see what the big deal is. Jesus spoke on money. You know, I'm not apologetic for ever saying anything about money from the front. We're not a church that drives, you know, money is not our center focus. But in this, in this case, we have, we, we have to look at the attitude of giving. It's not about money. It's our attitude. If we have an attitude to give whatever our treasure is, it, our treasure, it might be our time. Our time might be more important to us than our money. You know what I'm talking about? Maybe it is money. Maybe it's something else. We've got to be okay. We've got to be okay with giving it. And if, if we're, as we get relaxed with the idea of giving and being generous, some people are naturally there or they've already had the work in life. But as, as, as we become okay with it, it makes it easier to engage with people. The ones who have a harder time engaging with people are the ones who hold everything close their time, their treasure, their talent, whatever. They hold things close. They have a harder time engaging with people. All right, so here's what this message is. The message is about this. The message is, if we're going to be a good 21st century congregation, we've got to walk in agape. I really believe that. I think this is a differentiating point for the 21st century church, for the 21st century community of believers. I, I really do. I think in the 20th century, we had a lot of what we called uh, cultural Christianity. A lot of people who would go to church because their parents took them to church. It's because of what they always did. You know, they were comfortable with the idea of going to a church. In the 21st century, that's not happening. The, what's happening is people aren't going to church. There's people who have never been to a church. I remember, this is a, I'll share this story. It's something that happened to my uh, daughter, my daughter is getting married and she's found a fella who is uh, um, never, he was never in a church. His parents never took him. And when he was in his early 20s, he thought, well, I've never been to a church. I'm going to check it out. So he got in his car on a Sunday morning. He didn't even know where to go. He didn't look and he just drove around until he saw a church that he thought would be open because it was around 10 or something like that. So he picked a church and he goes inside, and it's crazy hearing him describe this story because he had never been in a church. He had never been in one. And he goes into church, and he sits in the back. Nobody said anything to him. And he said there was a lot of standing up and sitting down, and uh, there was a lot of people would say things back. It wasn't Catholic, by the way. I said, was it Catholic? He said, no, no, no it's not Catholic. Ah, I don't know what it was. He didn't, he didn't even know what to think about a denomination. He didn't know... That there was a difference in denominations. Other than he'd heard that there's Catholics and Lutherans and Methodists. But he doesn't even know what that means. Now he's a believer. But at that point, he knew nothing. 
If we're going to be an effective 21st century church, it's because we demonstrate love. Because we demonstrate agape. Because we look out for people. And if we're going to do that, we have to understand these three legs to the stool. 21st century church is going to be different than the 20th century church. I think things are going to move much faster. I think relationships are going to be much deeper than they've ever been. I really do. But it's understanding what the Bible says for agape. All in all, it's very exciting. And it's a little nerve-wracking doing something different. How many of you just know church is different? Something is different about this community in the 21st century than the 20th century. Anybody recognize that difference? It is just different. So at Grace, we're looking for it. We really are. I'm looking forward to it, and I'm looking for it. And I hope that you are too, you Gracesites. And if you have a different church, wherever you're from, look for it in your church. Look for it in your church. I'm excited to see what God does here. I really am. So please stand up if you would, and we're going to pray. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, God. I thank you, Lord, for the chance to be here and to be with your people. God, I appreciate this fellowship. And Lord, I know that you're, you speak very, very much about the kind of relationships that we should have. And I just pray for these early stages, God. If people are looking to engage and looking for fresh perspective on engaging, that you help them do so. You help all of us do so. Do a good job with reaching out and understanding agape and understanding just the, the real fundamentals that you call for in relationships. Lord, I thank you for the work in this house. I'm looking forward to seeing more of it. Looking forward to seeing the things that you do in us. Lord, I thank you for everybody here. I really do, God. We're blessed to be yours. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May he lift up his countenance on you and give you peace. Thank you again for downloading and listening to this message from Grace Christian Fellowship. We are located in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. And if you are looking for a church to call home or would like to visit us for one of our services, please visit our site at gracecf.us for our location and service times. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and all peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit.